I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they missed the bowl of kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. You're pinning words all like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, y'all? Wakanda. Wakanda. Yeah. I love we still do that after the movie's been out like a month and shit. <laughs> Six weeks. It's, okay. It's still rolling hard <laughs> in the box office. Christ. The sequel will be out before you know it. Just okay. keep it going. <laughs> So y'all know how we're doing on The Rant Room. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture. But our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Little disclaimer, Lisa Bolakaja is out yet again. What, she been on like three episodes the entire fucking year this Two. time? Two? Jesus Christ. <clears throat> anyway. Where's the work ethic, Lisa? You feel me? Luckily, we taped episode 200 last week or two weeks ago. So, so she'll be on next yeah, week. So that's We're three. about to drop episode 200, Miles. But she didn't show up for me. It's cold <laughs> That's the other thing. She don't never. Personal. Look, I'm about to get on her. I ain't going to get on her in front of everybody. But uh, anyway, we love you, Lisa. Motherfucker. Um, <laughs> so we have to come up with our little recall joke now for, uh, I know. for, for Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> we did this cool little thing last week. We were, we were recording. It was me and Lisa and Chris and uh, Paul Gio from NCIS New Orleans. Mm. And our friend Jeff Thorne was supposed to be on with us, too. And Jeff is a showrunner on a new um, Black Panther um, Quest uh, animated series. So uh, he didn't even show up. So we were like texting him, like, where the fuck are you? He's like, oh, I'm at WonderCon. I was like, motherfucker, you didn't tell nobody. <laughs> we had this plan for weeks. You know what I mean? So Jeff, uh, 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 Paul said... What do you say? I can picture him at WonderCon oh, in his is. little later hosing, later hosing outfit. So then I said, "Ricola." <laughs> it's funny. So we did this whole little tweet back and forth. It was hilarious. So anyway, my man in the house, Chris Derrick from the writing directing team, the Derrick Brothers. What's up, Chris? Uh, doing good today. Mm-hmm. Finally, we missed you yesterday. I know, just busyness, but. We'll, you know, we'll, get, we'll still get it in. There's more yeah, fights yeah. coming up. More fights coming right. up. We always get together and watch all the fights and stuff. I'm a, I love my UFC. I love my boxing and stuff. So what that's happened? Who was fighting yesterday? Um, um, Joshua against I don't some don't fucking Tongan name. dude or, 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 or I don't even know his name. Yeah, his name is um, Anthony Joshua. He's a Brit, cool bloke from the East End. Oh, he's from South. Where's Where's Shane from? South or East? Shane thinks from the South. Yeah, he's from more. He's from the same neighborhood. Chains from okay. That's right. So anyway, he's from London. I love to hear the Brits talk like that. You know, it's badass. Um, anyway, he ended up winning, but it was a horrible fucking fight. <clears throat> so you didn't miss it. You didn't miss it. No, I was, was watching like, the Michigan game. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> I watch this though. But they right. won, so I was excited. Right. Is that from good? Michigan? No, but I went there. I went to Michigan for undergrad. I'm from Michigan. You're from Michigan. Yeah, from the D. Detroit, probably. Yeah. 
Yes. Over there next to his girl. I know. Diara over there getting it in. Anyway, so check it out, you guys. If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. So today we got my man on the show, my little bro, Miles Orion Feld. I can never say your middle fucking name right. Orion? Feldsot. Feldscott? Feldsot? Feldsot. S-O-T-T. It is uh, in Ru- when my grandfather, immig- uh, my great-grandfather immigrated from Russia. Mm-hmm. He got caught up in Canada, thought he was in America, got a job as a lumberjack. <laughs> His brothers came, found him, were like, hey, man, you're in the wrong country. And when they brought him over to America, they chopped his name in half. Really? So for years, my family has been Feld, but the but the full name is actually Feldsot. So you use the, use the full name now? Yeah, now I use the full name. Oh, he grown now. Look at Wait, did you change it on your... <laughs> well, when, when, uh, when my wife and I got married, mm-hmm. we decided to go go back and kind of reclaim the full name that was that was chopped okay. in half by some random immigration guy. You've seen that scene in Godfather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, right. Poorly on. Poorly on. Poorly on. It's like, motherfucker, that's not what I just told you my name was. <laughs> what is it? What is it? What is it? Vito Andolini is his yes. name. Right. Vito yeah. Andolini. Right. He goes, I ain't got time for your name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I ain't got time. Exactly. <laughs> It was, so, it was cold. They <laughs> were just naming people. Right. So we got my man Miles on the show, writer, producer himself. Now, you go back and forth from movies and TV now, right? Yes. But TV seems to be your bread and butter, or is both of them? Uh, for a while, t- that's how I was making my living was right. just TV, but now I'm, I'm, I'm doing both. Right. Now, one of the things I want to talk to you about <clears throat> is um, um, one of the things I'm most fascinated by you is is... Everybody has a direction that they all plan to go or want to go. You're one of the few people I know who had a direction they wanted to go, and it worked, so to speak. You feel me? And what I mean is, for here's, here's what I'm talking about. For those of you guys, you know, go back and listen. You were like one of our first episodes we did, weren't you? I wasn't think you on, uh, I was like... Because we were at the house and yeah, shit. Yeah, video. yeah, yeah. It was like episode 14, yeah. 15, something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's in, the, te- in the teens. <clears throat> something with a teen in it. Yeah. <laughs> And but one of the things I love about you, Miles, is um, 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 you had a direction. Like you've had many opportunities, you probably could have been on on staff on other shows. You chose. I'm going to sell my pilots. I'm going to be a creator, and I'm a creator show that I'm going to be on. In essence, well, that wasn't necessarily by choice. Okay, it was also a byproduct of kind of the path that was unfolding before me right. was basically pushing me in that direction. Right. Even when I was trying to get off the path and being like, well, can't I just staff? Can't I just, right. you know, be a staff writer? And the path was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> you are not meant to do that. Right. And so the, I remember at one point I was having a conversation with my manager, Kevin Parker, mm-hmm. and I was like, fuck, why can't I get on a writing staff? And he was like, motherfucker, because that's how he talks to me. <laughs> he was like, motherfucker, I'm trying to get you your own show, not right. get you on someone else's show. Right. And I was like, oh, shit, this right. guy is actually holding a higher vision right. for me than I am holding for myself right now. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I got to just fully commit to... Right. Because you know me, I, mm-hmm. you know that's all I did was just generate pilot after mm-hmm. pilot after pilot. They weren't necessarily selling, but I w- I kept building worlds and characters, right. and that just seemed. And like you get better, and you yes, get better every time, right? Yeah, right. And that that's one of the things that I love about you too is um, people talk about my work 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 ethic, and you know how many things I turn around and different projects I'm working on. You have it in spades too. Every time I talk to you, you got. 
three scripts you just finished last fucking week. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, this motherfucker writes like like crazy. How do you keep up that momentum? Um, is it is it is it is it an angst? Is it a burning? Is it I'm still hungry? You're like, what, what is it that keeps you still flowing like that? Um, I think when I when I was first trying to get on, it was just like I. I realized that I didn't have a body of work. Right. You know, I had been an assistant and then I had gotten a, an opportunity to have a conversation with a manager and he was like, well, I'm reading this, you know, web series that you wrote, but what, what do you have that I can sell? Right. And I realized I was like, damn, I don't have like a body of work. And I look at someone like my dad, who's a painter who just mm-hmm. paints every day. And you look at his <laughs> stuff. It's like, he has a body of work. Like right. no matter what kind of painting you're looking for, like he, he has some, you know, something. And I was like, I don't have that. Right. And so I, I quit my job as an assistant. I just started to generate mm-hmm. scripts. And once I finished one, you know, I was like, now I got to do another, you yeah. know. And I just started to get on that routine. Um, and then once I started to sell my work, uh, I kind of put all my eggs in one basket. I was like, right. now I'm on. I got a, I got an <laughs> agent. I sold a script. Right, know, I'm about right. to get a pilot and a show. <laughs> How and many then, years ago was that? <laughs> it was like four, it was five, like four or five like, years right. ago. <clears throat> and, you know, you think... Every level that you get to, you think, all right, now I made it. Now it's all going to be just smooth sailing. (laughs) Um, And I had put all my eggs into this show, and the the studio had really liked it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was CBS Studios. And they were like, we're going to give you just a blind script deal for your next one. I was like, oh, shit, this is easy. Um, And then that pilot didn't go. Mm -hmm. I wrote the blind script. That didn't go. And then I had nothing else coming up. Right. And the thing about working in development is that it takes fucking years. Right. You know, like you'll put something into development. You won't get paid for that for like a year and a half. Oh, really? That's something to learn. Even if you sell that shit, it's still going to take business affairs like four or five months to cut you a check. Right. Yeah, that's and, the thing I hate. Right. I hate that. Right. Business affairs is really. And then you got to hunt down your money. You got to like literally go to the studio with a baseball bat and be like, <laughs> "The pilot is made. Where's my money?" Right. Um, and that's he coming in with he coming in with Tyrone and them. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's every, and that's like I know big big time writers much bigger than I am who are like still like chasing their money. Like that's wow, just really? that's just how it is. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I feel like. I feel like that's like a writer's guild uh, issue, yes. but I don't think they do it for everybody. I think they, I think they do it for maybe like a few big, like high profile people. Because I heard you know, something, that's something you know that Paul was like tweeting about one time. Mm-hmm. Like he still owed money, right. like ten grand from something. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of like, well, you get to a certain <clears throat> level, and then it's like, okay, I don't need a check right this second, so it stops bothering you. But like when you're starting out and you're just starting to sell right. stuff, or maybe you've just been on staff one time, right. and you were big, anticipating that money it's too. Big, right. It's a big deal not <clears throat> to get paid for four or five months when right. you've mm-hmm. turned in a script or something right. like that, and then you're still waiting for your money. Mm-hmm. And so I got caught. Okay, now it doesn't go. Now you try to put new stuff in development. Oh, now you have to wait like a year before you ever see any of that, any money for, you know. So I was like, I got to have a bunch of things going. I was like, I can never stop (coughs) doing all all of this stuff. I can't rely on one thing. And Mm -mm. so I put, I don't know, like four or five TV shows into development. Two of them didn't sell. Two of them did sell. Uh, That's good odds. 
Mm-hmm. I put a couple movies into the development. <clears throat> they sold. Yeah. And now I'm just in a situation now where, like, just luckily, like, a bunch of things are moving forward. Right. But it's kind of a gamble every time. Like, none of them could go. They could all go. You just, you have no idea. But mm-hmm. you have to, if you're someone like me who's freelance, who's not working on a staff, you're the, the way that you get paid is, is you sell stuff and you try to get it, you know, into production. Right. So you have to hustle nonstop. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the 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 thing that people don't really know about this business is that it's really hard to get your money. Like I remember this deal my brother and I did at Fox and it was like we turned in a draft and it's like we're sitting there waiting uh and the uh and Sue came back with notes for the second draft and I was like I mean, <laughs> we didn't get paid yet for the for the turn in, you right. know. And is you know that time they there's the they don't it's different now with the multi steps. I mean, single steps still now, but the right. multi steps and that thing. And I was like, you want us to start writing? Mm-hmm. We ain't got paid yet right. for the last one, and we turned <laughs> to the, le- the next draft. We were like, are you waiting? And the, like you said, the worst thing is if you're not big enough, don't have the ca- like the cash flow coming in from other things, then you start getting like. You start panicking. <laughs> You're like, you know what? I don't want to have to go back and look for a job because you know how it is if you're out of work for like, you know, eighteen months, two years, and you have to go back and look another job. People look at you, look at you funny. Oh yeah. Like, why you have this gap in your resume? You know, and you can't explain why I was doing my dream. Oh well, then go back and do your dream. Don't come get a job. You know. Um, yeah, I think also the studios are used to dealing with so many people that just have you know a bunch of ca- a bunch of cash stacked. Mm-hmm. So right. people are not like blowing them up like when you were, when you're a baby writer and you first are breaking in and you're like, "Where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money?" And then at a certain point, you're like, "I got three different things right. going." The you got them green are, envelopes the checks, coming in. The checks are coming <laughs> when they come, and you right. and you're not harassing your reps, and they're therefore they're not harassing the studio. But it's a huge problem. It's definitely something that, you know, I've said to the WGM, I'm sure every other person who's ever been in my situation has said to the WGA, is like, when you're a smaller writer, it's really, really difficult to be in that position. Because you also don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. You don't want to be the person that's like, uh, I have to rat on my studio because mm. they're, you know, three months well, behind. Let me ask you something. Because <clears throat> one, one, one of the advantages, like people always ask me, like, what are the advantages of being like a co-chair or vice chair at the, at the committee? And you can talk on this too, Chris. Is sometimes we're privy to a lot of conversations that people don't, don't know because we get to be in there with the board or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we've talked about this exact uh, issue that you're talking about right now, and somebody was saying that one of the one of the people at their guild, um, I forget what department is, was saying that one of the problems is is when writers get even writers who get on staff, right? Like like even at staff level level, they'll get on a show and they'll be on for a while, and they've never even turned in their paperwork yet to the guild. So they're wondering why certain things don't happen. Mm-hmm. So if you sell a script, it's like it's your responsibility to let them know, here's my contract. Right. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't do it. So then they're wondering why things have happened and they've taken so long. It's because you didn't do your right. Right. due diligence, yeah. right. If Because you I think the main thing with that is health insurance. Mm-hmm. Because you could, I remember something that we dealt with. I said to them, we ain't got our money yet. But here's the date that we said that we signed that, that everybody signed, mm-hmm. and this is the date that I want you to use for when we qualify. 
you know, because they're always looking, you know, because it's like the way the health insurance works, it's, 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 you it's not certain, immediate. You got to make a certain amount, amount, right amount in that time period, yeah. and you got it's it's every quarter, you know, and 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 as soon as you qualify, you got to wait to the next quarter right. before it kicks in. And if you don't turn your paperwork in a month later, you would turn it in. That's that's a month that you now you might be in the next quarter. You right. might be in the beginning of the next quarter. So you got to wait all the way to another three months. Right. It's a very tricky thing. I remember one time I I dated this girl who worked in business affairs at Fox, and she was telling me about how. Uh, what happens is is that they're you know they're doing people's work it's getting assigned and then someone will call up and say you know like oh Jerry Bruckheimer needs X Y and Z done for his show now um, and it's like a red ball for the whole unit and mm-hmm. everyone else's work is backlogged yeah. you know and it's like you know it's bullshit but that's that's the way they behave and, that and, makes a lot of sense though I mean it yeah. does but it doesn't because it's like like I have this theory that a lot of times. A lot of people in a lot of different um, sections of the industry, they perform their job better. Like they'll do more work mm-hmm. or something like that if it's someone that they feel is exciting to work with. Right. You know, like I, I, th- I think someone. I don't like, think that's a theory. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you might be on to something. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and if someone's a no name, they're like, I mean, I mean, for instance, like. I know Steven Spielberg gets like the visual effects teams go all out on his work. Oh yeah, because they're like, "Fuck, it's a Spielberg film." Mm-hmm. But if you were just doing, if anybody doing a big movie, they'd be like, "We'll get to him." But it's all, <laughs> but it's also, it's also about self preservation. It's also like, who's going to hire me next? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like we often experience that as like people when they think that you have longevity, that you're going to come back. You know, uh, like there was a post house that we worked with for American Coco. Who was like, oh, you guys have pilots coming up. Like, we're going to help you, you know, get, oh, right. a, get a better deal or we're going to work with you or we're going to give you a little something extra because... Okay. You'll bring them more business. We'll, you guys will, you know, just consider us for the pilot when you right. actually have something that yeah. has a substantial budget and mm-hmm. you'll come back. So a lot of people do that. I'm sure Steven Spielberg, that's just like a whole nother stratosphere right, right. where people are like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, you know, like... We'll do the post for free as long as right. you bring us. Well, they can say they have. They, they can say they worked with Spielberg. So, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They can say, yeah, exactly. they can put the poster. Yeah. Oh, we did right. this movie. We did this movie. Yeah. Right. Just give me the credit, bitch. Because <laughs> there's like so much. I mean, I saw Ready Player One yesterday, right. and um, I'm looking at the movie, and I'm like, I've seen a lot of effects movies, but mm. I haven't seen effects movies like this. Mm. And I'm like, fuck, man! Like, there's so much detail in that movie, really? and it's so much of an effects movie. But I'm saying to myself. Everyone is bending over backwards to work to to get a credit on this film, right. and you can tell that they all want to like point to their little thing that they did to to to, to get work. You know, to stay. Yeah, you're right. It's all about longevity. Wow, and not many. How was how was a girl Lena? As much like as good? Steven Spielberg. Pretty good. Did a good part. She did a good part. All she right. did a very good part. It's interesting <laughs> because that movie came out. Well, was it? I remember she was gone like early last year. Like she was the year herself. before. It was the year before? before. Okay, I remember she was gone for like two um, months. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure they shot it. Yeah, in they 20, were in London. And they shot in London in 2016. Right. Okay. And she was good. She was very good. Yeah, I mean, good. it's interesting because she's more she's she's more of a of that character mm-hmm. than her character on, on, what you, on I, you know, yeah, it's like if in Master of None, it's like that's Lena. Right. You know, she's actually playing H in right. that in, in Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean she's still got a lot of her in it, but you mm-hmm. can tell that she has has twisted it to fit what, what like what Spielberg wanted. You okay, know? cool. Good for her. Yeah. That's just it. 
<clears throat> um, so let's get into um, your new show. Okay. Actually, let's back up just a little bit. Let's talk about... Um, I remember we talked a little bit about this on, on one of the episodes we did with you before. You were talking about um, um, like learning how to pitch. Remember, mm-hmm. you first you just had to go in and pitch and figure it out. Now, you, now you're to a point where you've, you know, I don't want to say you mastered it because nobody masters anything unless they're fucking... I think you know, what's Jordan crazy is that the last time that I did your... when I think when we did the show in the house, mm-hmm. I think it was right after... I might be misremembering this, but I think it was right after I'd done my very first pitch, okay. which was went into, you know, went into the CW right. and I pitched and I walked out, you know, it was like nerve wracking experience. You're looking across this big marble conference table <laughs> with all these fucking executives. And I remember walking out with my manager and looking at him and <clears> I was like, oh, I never want to fucking do that again. He's like, motherfucker. Cause he talks to me like that. He's like, <laughs> I like this. Dude. It's cool. <laughs> he was like, that's your job. Like, you better hope you're doing that every week. Right. And now, I, you know, I've probably done like over 150 pitches what? at this point. Damn. Network pitches. Wow. So it is like from that first moment of handshaking, you know, mm-hmm. like reading off the page the whole time to now, like I'm very comfortable in the room. You go off but book? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I keep my computer open in front of me and I okay. kind of have what I want to say, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I try to make it as conversational as possible right. and make sure that I'm that I'm talking and connecting with people. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's just like, oh yeah, it's a pitch. Like I don't have to like sweat it as hard as like it was so terrifying to start. Right. I think it's like, and you you're an actor too, so I think you realize <clears throat> that I use that term. Well, well, I only Let's say use that it quite. I, I say that because <laughs> you did go to school for it. You, you ended up switching into directing yeah. and stuff, but you know what I mean. Um, and you're on your you're on your show with your wife, so yes. I, that's that's the only reason why I'm saying. It. So um, you also understand when you go on to an audition and, and being a director and a producer, when actors come in, you want them to win. Mm-hmm. So you realize that the executives want you to win too. You well, I know? think it's I think it's a little different in the pitching process because actually I think. I might be wrong, but I think they want you to lose. <laughs> <laughs> like I think, like uh, I can't okay. remember. I can't remember who was saying this to me the other day, but they were basically saying that every. I think it was one of my agents. He mm-hmm. was saying every executive just doesn't want to get fired. Right. And there are some executives that are like, "Fuck it, let's take a risk, let's take a gamble," mm-hmm. you know. And especially earlier in my career, like people would. It would be a risk. You you know, a writer who hasn't done that much, mm-hmm. that's a risk. They're coming in, they're pitching you this show, like you have to kind of take a little gamble to right. to to give me a script because you don't have that many slots. Because yeah. um, I don't know like if if your audience knows like kind of how the pitching process works. Well, let's talk about it. But basically, <clears throat> depending on the network, they have a certain amount of slots. Like say they have they hear 400 pitches in a mm-hmm. year and they can they can buy let's say you know 50 scripts right. or if it's a bigger network 100 scripts or whatever mm-hmm. and then of those like it keeps the the ratios keep getting smaller so then of those we can make you know eight pilots or right. five pilots or whatever and then of those two or three might go to series right. so of, of those 400 pitches like it keeps That's getting crazy. whittled down <laughs> <Isn't it>? um <clears throat> So when you're going out and you're pitching and you're asking someone to pay you to write a script, mm-hmm. 
they have to go like, okay, if I buy this and I already know that, you know, when Clooney comes in, like we're going to buy whatever and Eva Longoria is coming right, in. Right. We have to buy whatever they come in. Right. We have to give them a script. Yeah, she sells that. every time she goes in, doesn't she? Well, I saw her one time come in with her team. She was pitching <laughs> like at the same network that I was pitching at right. the same time. And I was like, we're not selling this. <laughs> I looked over. She's just like smiling. Everyone right. is just like pulled over to her. Mm-hmm. I was like, we're not selling this show here. Right, it's, right. it's crazy. People like that, you know, um, I mean, yes, yeah, she's a big star. Mm-hmm. But I uh, met her one time. And it's like, it's what you're saying. There's this magnetism about her. Mm-hmm. that yeah, There's certain stars don't even have that. You just know they're a big star. But yeah. she has this magnetism. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, she's not like a tall woman. Mm-hmm. But she just. But everyone is like sucked in. Jamie Foxx calls that fairy dust. You know? <laughs> Some people yeah. have that thing. And it's right. just like, you're right. You see someone like that and you're like, Psst. Right. Let's, let's leave. Let's, let's, let's reschedule. Because <laughs> yeah. the top be brass the is not going to be in our meeting. Yeah. Right. Damn sure. yeah. Um, so basically, an executive has to decide to take a chance on you. They have to decide to give you give you a slot when, you know, how many big writers are going to walk in, right. how many big actors or big producers, and they're all going to want their show to be on. Um, so there's that gamble. So when you walk in, a lot of times they're looking for things to pick apart. Sure. They're looking for the holes. They're looking for the ways that they can go and say, like, no, we didn't want it. We didn't like it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the no is, like, it starts as a no, and then unless you walk in there with some giant producer or someone super hot, like, right now Jordan Peele walks in, you know. Right. <laughs> he, People are just throwing scripts at them. <laughs> <laughs> just going the panties at exactly. the panties right. the script. Here you go, but dude. Like, Here you go. But like so when you have a heat check, like it doesn't fucking matter. But right. when you're someone who's just going into the room and being like, give you know, pay me to write this script, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's starting you're starting at no and then you're trying to work them into the other category. But, go ahead. I, I see it's a very it's a very, very good point because they don't want to get fired because they have a really, they have a job. I think people don't don't consider how cushy it is. All they do is read scripts all day and watch TV shows and movies, and they get some six figure, you know, paycheck plus some bonuses and shit to do that. And that's a really, I mean, there's more stuff to do, but that's like a really kind of like a wild job. Like I'm not losing that, and I'm not going to take the risk on something where <clears throat> where I can lose that. Well, I think you know? it's I think it's different. It depends on what type of executive you are. Yes, there is the executive that's just like kind of coasting. They're giving notes, and it's typically like pitches that they've heard other writers give, sure. and then they pitch it back to you as mm-hmm. their idea. There are those people, and then there's people that are that are actually really, really good who understand story, who are actually actively, you know, shaping you and pushing you towards either the best possible version or the version that's most likely to get picked up by the network. Right. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with that in terms of the type of people. I'm right. just saying that, that they know. Because I remember I was at HBO and last summer talking mm-hmm. with this guy, and, and he was like, <clears throat> I get up every morning to hear something new and exciting. Right. That's what drives me right. to the day. And I, I was like, it's an interesting way of looking at it because you... You, you have to... Ch- Put that hat on. You have it's interesting because it's kind of like you don't have anything. I mean, 
that's your only risk is that the day is going to be boring. You're going to get shit that you've heard 10, 20 right. times, everything right. like that. And I think and, that's probably most days for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Most and, days someone is coming in and being like, it's Game of Thrones in the future. <laughs> yeah. Especially at HBO, you're just like, <clears throat> fuck. <laughs> I don't want to hear that shit no more. Right. I, I've heard 90 versions of that. I mean, like, like I think that they... Uh, I mean, it's, 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 uh, the pitching process is very interesting. I remember we, we, we pitched at Bruckheimer one time, and um, you know they all have their own kind of things that they want, that they're interested in. Um, it's, uh, I mean, there's so much work you got to do just to figure out if that's the right place to pitch like right. a certain project. Because you know, at Bruckheimer, the guy we were with, he had talked with uh, some people, and, and, the, and they were like, "He's gonna love this. He's gonna love this. He's gonna love this." And uh, we got the meeting, and then he was very—he was very—I mean, he's not him, but his team was very excited about the pitch. But then they came back and said, "But you know, he only really likes to do stuff that's based on reality, <laughs> you know." And you go back and look, at, and then you go back and look at his work, and, it's and you're like, like, like the Rock, you know, you know? <laughs> reality. <laughs> well, no, well, no, but I mean, like, I mean, like that's not say realistic, but like. No. He's not doing a fantasy thing, yeah, right. And he's never done a fantasy thing, right. and he and uh, and so things like that. I think you just have to know. It's, it's, uh, there's someone who's telling me that I mean, pitching is so much like just being the the salesman. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, you have to be the Willie Loman guy every day yeah. and survive that, and you have to do that kind of work to know what what they might buy. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said about Game of Thrones, I mean, I'm sure if somebody like, but if Jordan Peele walked in and went Game of Thrones in the future, they'd be <laughs> yeah. like. Okay, <laughs> ten episodes. We can order. imagine Here that. You go. We, we, we can do that. <laughs> but it's we all, can do that. And it's yeah. also like, who who do you trust to do what? Yeah, you know, like certain. The reason why you go to the right producer for your project is because that person has a track record of doing that thing. Right. A lot of producers sometimes go like, "Well, fuck, I've already I've been doing that my whole career. I want to do something different." Um, like I worked with Eric Tenenbaum a couple times mm-hmm. um, in my early in my career and he was like i want to do you know an hour-long drama i've mostly done comedy you know i want to break into this other space and that's why you know he was willing to take a gamble on me like a young drama writer because he was like i want to you know i want to dabble into this new space i want to do something that people aren't expecting from me and i always thought that was that was cool um because this town is so much about like oh you do this thing so now we know what you do and that's what we're going to make you do all the time and I know uh, my wife and I are just always like, what can we do that's just way different than anything that we've done before? But that makes it hard to create a brand, which people will give you the advice, like, that's the thing that you're doing. I mean, even even American Coco is different. You know, you could tell you guys thought about that. It was like, what can we do different? What have we not seen yet? You know? And it still feels, it still feels fresh and still feel it has a voice in there i mean it's still you know chris and i went you went with me right and we went to go see her new show too mm-hmm. still has her in there right you know what i mean you can you can hear her voice like a mile away and mm-hmm. that that how do you find that voice at that age that young only you only done a couple shows mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's that's what they're looking for somebody to stand out yeah because i remember one time we had um you know, we were doing a project with the, uh, uh, the Jacques Matons. They were like producers on Mad Men and on the, the new um, Romanoff show that, right. what's his name, is doing. And we sent them a couple ideas and they were saying, these are really cool. But there's 10 guys who are, who, who, who are selling these right now <laughs> right. that um, 
it's going to be hard to make that work for you guys. So come up with something that only you guys can really get behind. That is like the, and that's, and that's definitely how you have to think. You can't think about what you think might say. You just got to say, what, like, what am I into that you don't think anyone else is into? Mm -hmm. And that'll like, and that's something that is risky because if, if no one's really doing it, then and, and you're not some credited writer, then that's the extra gamble. And then you might find out people who are like, I want to <clears throat> roll those dice. Mm-hmm. But well, that, some people don't want to roll those dice. That was the best advice that I got early in my career as I was writing like sci-fi, whatever, like shit that everybody could do. Right. And people were being like, this is really good, but you know, anybody could write this. And I was like, yeah, but it's really good. And they're like, yeah, but they're going <laughs> to hire... 59 people ahead of you to do this type of shit what do you write like that no one else can write and that's when i first wrote that script missing belafonte which which you've read which was you know had that was your calling card for years that was my calling card for years it's how i got you know an an agent and a manager that Mm -hmm. and i had a body of work Mm -hmm. but that script stand that script still goes around which is crazy to me (laughs) Like people are still like, what's going on with that? And I'm like, nothing. It's just been <laughs> everyone in town has read that shit. Um, but that was just like, I sat down, I was writing, I was like, nobody's gonna want to, you know, watch a show about a 16 year old oxycotton dealer that's right. acid tripping back through his own memories to figure out who tried to kill him. Right. And people were like, actually, we're into that. Right. <laughs> Timing. Um, right. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. <clears throat> that script never got made, even though it got close a couple times. But mm-hmm. it did, you know, it did a lot for my career. Right. And it was like, oh, now I'm going to go back into my old scripts and infuse the voice that I found right. when I wrote that right. into the sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Now it's not just a father and a son. It's it's me and my dad in this sci-fi world. Hmm. It is it is a, a re- relationship that only I know, but now in a heightened world. Okay. Um, and now I try to think about that because now I work a lot in genre. Mm-hmm. I try to think in that way of mm-hmm. like, what's a unique spin, even though the world is big and crazy and different and, and sci-fi, like how is it still me or how is it still people that I know? Right. That's, so that's what I'm talking about. That's why I always say, <clears throat> like I talk about this all the time. Like if you ever sit behind me when I'm writing, I have the script up that I'm writing right now, the outline for the next script, and then minimize the script I wrote six years ago because I'm doing exactly what you're talking about. I'm pulling, I'm working on the one now with the voice that I have now. I'm adding the voice to the new thing that I'm working on and I'm going back to the old thing and making it who I am now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that, that is what, that's how you keep growing. That's when people say you got a script, you go, I, I don't have to rewrite that one for a week to give it to you. I can give it to you now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Could right. you keep pulling them out? You know, and that's the other thing. When when you go like, "Hey, do you have a a script?" and someone goes, "Um," and you're like, "You have to, you have to have it. You have to have it ready right. to go. Right. You can't be like, well, I'll get it to you in like a month.'" <laughs> <laughs> so if you writ, wrote something five years ago and you think it sucks now, like you know, update it mm-hmm. or write something new. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah, you have to be always, you got, I mean, you definitely need to be writing something new. I mean, constantly. And it's, uh, I mean, all these people that, you know, it doesn't matter who they are, the novelists, playwrights, or, uh, screenplay guys, they have a lot of material to say. And I think the reason why people are, 
you know, like somebody like, um, you know, like uh, William Faulkner. He's William Faulkner because he told the South in a way that no one else did. And, and that's what you got to do as the writer. My grandmother was his typist for a while. What? Randomly. What? Just crazy. What is that story? <laughs> <laughs> My mom just threw that fact out there one day. I was like, what? How does what that how does that happen? How does that happen? Yeah, it's it's uh, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, people's voices is what you remember, you know. I mean, the first time I really 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 got hip to that was when uh is in Crimson Tide cuz you're watching Crimson Tide and the and the and the first thing you that sticks out in that movie is the Quentin Tarantino draft, the rewrite. You pick up on these like they're talking about Star Trek, and right. you're like, "That's not that movie, but that's <laughs> that's him, right. and it's in there, and mm-hmm. it's and it's it just it just stands out." And I think that's what everybody needs to know how to do to to really step up their their writing and right. say what's unique about them. If you can't do that, then you really well, then you got to be on staff, maybe somehow. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's let's talk about the new show. That uh, you were gone for nine months doing, goddammit. <laughs> Every time I talked to him, I'm in fucking, were you in Toronto or somewhere? Vancouver. Vancouver, same thing. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about that show. Let's tell the kids a little bit about what it is and how it came to you and like how you sold it, like all that shit. So uh, <clears throat> the show's called Deadly Class. It's based mm-hmm. on a graphic novel by Rick Remender. And Rick and I actually co-wrote the script and are, are both EPs on the project. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just started this, you know, We've started writing together, you know, a couple of things. We're also doing a project at Amazon together. Can I ask but, you, was, was that, a, was that a, um, a graphic novel you were familiar with before? Because I, I know Chris, Chris has it. He, yeah, yeah. I, I was in a comic shop one day, and mm-hmm. as I often do, I just want to kind of stay up to date right. with the shit that's not DC and that's not Marvel. Okay. Because I'm kind of like, well, it's, it's a, there's no way that they're giving that to me. Right. At least not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know what? You know what can I find that's cool and interesting and different mm-hmm. that you know that nobody knows about or that only like you know people in the know know about. Mm-hmm. And I think I it had only been out a few issues, and I read this comic called Deadly Class, which was about this school for assassins in the late eighties. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that kind of like cheap school for assassins that mm-hmm. you always see. It was like so much about you know the angst and anger of like the of like the anti-Reagan 80s right, and it's right. like punk and it's hip-hop and it's goth and it's all these sub-genres oh, that's of all shit. <laughs> um, I love it. And it was like, you know, the goth girl and the and like, she's like from like a death cult, you know, where her her dad was like <laughs> up and up and valley like and murdering people. She's like a poison expert, and like the jock is actually like a dude from the cartel. Okay, and you know the punk girl is actually from the yakuza, and so there was this awesome. Yeah, there was it was just had a great voice to it, and mm-hmm. I just fell in love with the writing. And I went to my agent at the time, and I was like, "Hey, you know, I found this really cool comic. Like, I'd love to, <clears throat> I'd love to see if we can adapt it mm-hmm. for TV." And I had two agents at that time, and they were both like, you know, you just did the thing with Bits and Belfonte, and you took it out, and people don't really want to see you know, <laughs> stuff in this space with the young kids doing right. drugs and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And then you know, six months later, I was like, hey, whatever happened to that comic? They were like, Sony bought it. No. And I was like, motherfucker. 
<laughs> so I called my agent and I said, "Motherfucker," because that's how I talked to him. <laughs> you um, learned that from your I manager. Love I love to speak back love to you. And <clears throat> no, my manager calls me motherfucker, but I call my agent motherfucker. I love it. <laughs> and I was just like, "What? Like, can I can I get a a meeting on it? Can I can I be the writer? Like, can I go talk to Sony?" And they were like, "They only want to meet with with bigger writers than you." Wow. And I was like, but I think, you know, that I would do a good job. Like, just get me a meeting. Right. And they basically said, like, no. So then I called my manager. Right. And my manager. This is why you have two motherfuckers. And my time, manager right? was like, I'll fucking get you a meeting over there. Love him. He's the best. Um, and he's the reason, you know, that I, we've been working together now five years. Everyone mm-hmm. else has turned over except for him. Right. Um, he got me a meeting over there. I went, met with Sony, had a good meeting. They were kind of like... You know, what do you want to work on? We'd love to work with you. And I took the, I had the comic with all these like little post-it notes in it and stuff with all my little notes. And I took it out of my bag and I put it on the table and I was like, this. (laughs) And he kind of thought that was funny, I guess. Uh, Because they know, they knew what you were talking about, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he knew and I was like, I slapped that shit on the table. (laughs) I was, it was a little theatrical. That's good. I love it. But it got the job done. He was like, look, you know, Rick is going to, you know, write it with someone, but we want to pair him with, you know, with a writer. You know, you'd have to meet Rick and make sure you right. guys get along. Um, and he's going to take a bunch of writer meetings. Okay. And I went and I went to Pasadena and we met in a barbecue restaurant. Mm-hmm. I'd never met him before, but I'd read a bunch of his comics. And we had like a three-hour lunch. That's good. Um, <clears throat> and now, like, like we're very good friends. Right. We've been working together, you know, now over three years. Wow. On a couple different projects, and it was just like instantly we were like, yeah, we can work together. And now we have like a real, you know, we have a good process where we like take a hike and we like talk through story and awesome. you know yeah. fix problems that are in the script, and then we come back, you know, and then we sit there and we type up the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything gets beat up, and everything gets read out loud in a mocking tone. So you're <laughs> in a any, mocking and tone. Any, any cliche dialogue gets read out loud. Like, That's oh, hilarious. really? Is it? And you're like, all right, all right. It's a terrible fucking line. I'm sorry. I should have never written it. That's I'll hilarious. It. I'll um, That's good. You're making each other better. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and and Rick is like the same way that you go, oh, your work ethic mm-hmm. is, is really good. That's like Rick is on another level. Like yeah. Rick. Yeah, because he, he puts out like three or four crazy. comic books a month. At least. A month? Yeah, yeah. He puts out, yeah. he, he, he is an incredible output. It's all really, really fascinating stuff. It's different genre, like yeah. you know, like he's got Deadly Class, which is set in the eighties. He's right. got a book, Black Science, which is maybe set maybe twenty years in the future, but it's mm-hmm. about these guys who travel through different dimensions. He's right. got Seven to Eternity, which is like this fantasy thing. He's mm-hmm. got so much cool ass <laughs> shit, and you just wonder. And he's also done shit for like Marvel and stuff like that. You just okay. wonder like how does this guy get his work, get the work done, mm-hmm. and at the and at the quality of the output. He sits know? in his basement and he, he types all day. <laughs> He's got a basement here. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice bit. Ba- he always says, like, I'm going to go back to my basement. I'm like, I'm like that's a nice basement. <laughs> that's your man really, cage. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful windows and a view. Right, it's, right. it's downstairs. It's not a basement. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, we we developed a pitch together for the, yeah. for the project. You know, it was at Sony, but it, you obviously still once something is at a studio, you still have to go out and sell it to a network. 
Um, and so we, we did the pitching process, mm-hmm. you know, where you go out and you pitch it to, you know, 15 or, or 16 different places. Mm-hmm. Like if it's cable and it's specialty, you know, sometimes that number is smaller. Right. I think we went to maybe 10 places. Um, and we ended up <laughs> selling it to USA Sci-Fi, um, who kind of developed stuff agnostically. Um, and what do you mean by that? Like what? Like, uh, what they're doing now, which I think is really helpful, is that you don't have to go and pitch Bravo, then go pitch USA, then go pitch Sci-Fi. It's just the same people. And so they hear one pitch, and they decide, like, does it fit in any of these places? And so for that, they were kind of like, could be USA, could be Sci-Fi. Like, we'll see, you know, when the script comes in. Um, And so we, you know, we wrote the script, and then they said, you know, we're going to produce the pilot for Sci-Fi, and... And you know, then we were in Vancouver for a few months hmm, doing right. that. So can we can we talk about that process? Now here's here's the cool thing. This this is this is what I always tell everybody. Check this out, and you can certainly relate to me with this. Because you have a background in in directing and film and producing, <clears throat> you're familiar with the set, right? Mm-hmm. Now a lot of young writers will try to write a pilot to become the executive producer and have no experience on the set, right? You come with that. So there's a reason why you can be an EP. You already come with knowing a lot. Now, you probably learned a ton doing mm-hmm. the process, but I think you have an advantage. You know, like I always talk about it all the time. Like I sit in here with my showrunner friends all the time, and I talk about different things like where I would be if I was in a writer's room, you know, the, the advantages that they would have with me because of my experience as a producer. And, and they can get me for cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I see that with, with, with you in a sense that that because you have that background, you finally get your show, you can be an EP because you understand the set, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it's also because <clears throat> I've sold a few shows right. and I've gotten my, you know, I think mostly if you were to sell your first show and it were to get made, you would not be an EP because right. they're going to, you know, you'll probably be like a supervising producer mm-hmm. or a co-EP. Um, but because I had, you know, jumped up levels as I had sold projects mm-hmm. over the years, I was able to, you know, to start there on, on mm-hmm. my first quote unquote, like major studio show. Um, even though we did, we did American Coco for ABC right. and I was an EP on that. This was definitely on like a much, much higher, right. you know, larger budget level. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I had that experience, but I also was like working with all of these people who I had like was just fans of, right. You know, like we're, you know, our, our EP partners are the Russo brothers. Oh and like God. there's, there's, you're sitting across from Joe Russo and he's talking to you about production or about whatever. Right. And you're just kind of soaking it in mm. because that guy's been doing it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to work with a great director like Lee Tolan Krieger, who's done, I think, five pilots and they've all gone to series. And you're just like, you're learning from him. And right. we had a great DP and in, in Tim Ives. Um, who did Stranger Things and mm-hmm. Mr. Robot, you mm-hmm. know, and so all of these people are really, badass, are really, yeah. really oh, good oh, at their it's, job. Yeah. It's, it's dope. Yeah. It's dope. It's dope. <laughs> and for me, I had primarily worked on stuff where, like, I felt like I had to micromanage everything. Right. And this was about kind of being like, no, like, we wrote a good script. Mm-hmm. 
we're going to give some notes, but we're not going to like step on people's toes because they know what the fuck they're doing mm-hmm. like way more than we <laughs> do. Like, I'm not going to go over to Tim Ives and be like, hey, man, like this uh, lens flare, can you <laughs> like, <laughs> guy knows what the fuck he's doing. There's nothing that I'm going to say that's going to make him better. And right. so primarily we were just focused on like, are we tracking the story? Okay. You know, are these characters, the characters that were in the script, you know, making sure that that, that was maintained. Um, and then just kind of letting people do their thing. Because mm-hmm. all of these, it's really nice to work with like actual like craftspeople who are mm-hmm. just like, they're artists. You know, we had a production designer, like every, she would just show up and she was just making fucking art. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was just great to see someone who was just like, I don't know how to do that. And you're just killing it. Right. You so you guys, you guys shot in, in Canada. Will you, if you guys get picked up, will you mm-hmm. guys eventually go to, San Francisco and shoot, or will you keep it there because it looks like San Francisco? Uh, Have you had that discussion? Fully look like, like it doesn't fully look like San Francisco, right. but it's definitely passable. I think the idea would be in series. Um, we couldn't we couldn't do it in in this shoot because it, it's too small. But right. when you're doing you know nine or ten episodes, the idea would be to you know take a unit and go down mm-hmm. there for like a week, block shoot and bunch of stuff. Well, yeah. let, me see, let me see a question about So I mean. They have all those incentives now here now. I mean, here in California to shoot there. I just, I, I mean, I just wonder how competitive that is against shooting in Canada. Canada is way cheaper, and the crews are like just the cost. Yeah, the cost. Just, I just, yeah. What you what you don't often think about is the crews of a certain city. Um, you know, like when you go to Detroit, you have your choice of one crew. Yes. You know, and then you're going to have to like trek people in from Chicago to do any kind of specialty thing. You have mm-hmm. one guy that does, you know, fucking techno crane. Like, right. that's it. He's going to charge you an arm and a leg. When you mm-hmm. go to Vancouver, it's like there's so much crew. The crew is, is very experienced. There's really good department heads that you can pull from that you don't need to fly in from LA. Um, it's just a different, it's a different experience. And in San Francisco, there's just not as nearly the type of production that there is That's in Vancouver. True. You're right. not going to get nearly the quality of people that right. you could get. If it was a Vancouver. commercial, you'd be fine. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, Definitely. Right, you're right. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's so many people I know who who, who shoot up there, and they just they do so much up there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that one interesting video someone did called uh, "Vancouver Shoots Itself," hmm. and uh, it's it's used for so many. It's one of those cities that has so many looks to it mm-hmm. that you can create a lot of, uh, you, you, I mean, it, it can double for a lot of cities. It's a really interesting mm-hmm. city like that. I'm very curious to see what you're doing with the thing. I mean, I had been a big fan of that comic for a long time. Um, it's, uh, I mean, but in terms of pr- producing it, I mean, like, you just had like a tone meeting with those guys, the director and the everyone that to make sure that you got what you guys wanted. I mean, I think that's, you know, what is so important about maintaining what you guys wrote. Because, you know, y- you don't want to tell those people what to do. Mm-hmm. You kind of hired them off of their reel and, and their experience, and you go, "I want that." Right. And 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 because and and it's and it's your job to kind of orchestrate that stew by saying, "I want this production designer and this DP and this art director and this person on costumes because that because because their individual work is going to give me something that's kind of in my head, and that just informs what you want to do. And if you have to micromanage those people on that level, 
you've chosen the wrong people. Right, but you're, you're also dealing with something else, though, Miles. You're dealing with, um, when you're dealing with a big director like that, they're choosing you, too, because they have other choices they oh, can yeah. go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're like, which pilot do I want to do next? Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? So it's on the page. Yeah. You know? What was great is that uh, is that Lee really wanted to do the, the show. Right. Um, he had actually, he was almost the director of Diara's pilot. Oh, um, really? And they couldn't quite get the schedule worked out. Okay. And so then when he read my show, he was kind of like, oh, this is crazy. Like, you guys yeah. are, are married. You're in the same <laughs> family. Um, but he definitely like bent over backwards to make this work. You know, okay. he, he, he definitely like stepped out of his deal so that he could, yeah. that he could direct this pilot because I think, I mean, the team was great and just, he liked the, he liked the script, he liked mm-hmm. the material, he liked the comic and that goes a long way towards getting you good people. Right. If the script is good, then you can get better people, I think, because a lot of, a lot of the people that are in high demand, they could do what, what you're saying. They could do mm-hmm. whatever. So we were we were very fortunate that a lot of great department heads responded to it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what what type of things did you did you did you go in with any expectations and come out going shit? I didn't realize that. Is there anything like that? <clears throat> um. I mean, I think the whole experience. I think our biggest lesson was was don't eat big dinners after nine p.m. <laughs> <laughs> and stay out of uh, out of the bar in the Sutton Place Hotel. <laughs> that was that was our biggest lesson. It was it was a, it was an interesting experience because both Rick and I had never had the experience of having our pilot produced, right. um, and so we were kind of you know every day we were showing up and just seeing things come to life was was a really cool kind of spectacular feeling mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of us just on set just with like big smiles on our face right. just like that's crazy that looks way cooler than what we could right, have ever right, thought right. of um so there was a lot of that and there were you know there was some trying times as well where mm-hmm. where something wasn't right or or something went wrong and and even on that level there's there's people that fuck up and and huge fuck ups mm-hmm. as well and you're kind of dealing with that. Um, but I would say it's just every production you learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, just just like American Coca was a huge learning experience, even though it was a much smaller budget. So mm-hmm. every kind of level that you jump up to, it's like a whole new, like, it feels like the first time you you step on set right. in a way right. where you're just like, I'm brand new and what's, you know, what is this going to be? And there's that kind of nervous energy of, of all these new people and interacting. So, right. um, are I, you, are you, I'm just, I'm just asking out of curiosity too, because you're my boy. Are you knowing that you're a director? Do you find yourself hanging around to see what he's doing or watching to learn, to grow, to kind of shadow when you can? Do you, do you find yourself like naturally doing that or are you just too busy? Um, I did. <clears throat> I I ended up shadowing on Diara's pilot mm-hmm. um, because I knew the director and right. it's the it's the director that's directing my my movie that's coming up. Okay. And so I was just like, hey man, if you get this job, like, can I come and shadow you? And he was like, sure. Right. So I did shadow on on that project. Um, I did learn a lot watching Lee direct and and watching how meticulous he was. Mm-hmm. You know, like we would do just. 
just every dolly shot, you know, he was so meticulous right. about it. Like he was like constantly like just riding the dolly grip, just like <laughs> <laughs> and boom up at the end. And nope, a little slower, a little slower. You know, right, so we right, were doing right. a lot of that. And then you <clears throat> see kind of every shot that he's crafted in the pilot is is just incredibly beautiful. Right. And oftentimes he like just would, you know how a lot of directors would just put three cameras down, let's just shoot everything. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't do that. He was very, very meticulous in terms of like, I don't want to shoot stuff that that later on in the show you guys are just going to go, we need a shot here and we're going to throw in this thing and it's not crafted and it's not composed. Um, So in that way, in that way, he was just like, I don't shoot anything that I don't want in the show. And so sometimes that would mean, you know, that we had. A, That's you, Chris. Have... <laughs> well, you know, because <clears throat> I, I ain't see, on this see, I mean, I'm like that because <laughs> it's kind of something that I've noticed a lot in television is that that television there's edits that are they're unmotivated, mm-hmm. so much unmotivated like editing and shots and shit like that. I'm just kind of like, why? I'll watch them like, why the fuck did you get that shot? Whose point of view? Is outside that window like that, right. and you got it because you thought it was gonna be cool, but it doesn't make any sense. And I think, I, I think to me, the big thing is y- 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 you want to make every shot work. And mm-hmm. I think that from my background, from from being in a photographer, you know, there was this guy, um, Robert, Ka- uh, yeah, uh, Robert Capa. He's got a really famous photograph of Spanish Civil War, and he's always saying he was kind of like, you got to say so much with one image. That you want to, that you that you just got to spend that time designing that image, mm-hmm. and that'll say so much if you do it. Right. And it doesn't have to be a shot where it's moving or anything like that. If you get the right angle, if, and 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 the right I, angle could just be two you know two inches to the left, and I don't need to sit around and go oh so and so now the shot's going to be on like a a slider or something because like I found the right shot because you can go look at a movie like. Godfather. I was just gonna say I just rewatched Godfather too. <laughs> I just rewatched it. He'll go four scenes without using a close up. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you're just like, how is that even possible? Because now in this modern age it's right. all about coverage. Right. And it's like it was he'll like, do a whole scene, just you know, just just one shot. Mm-hmm. And not even necessarily like a, a shot with like crazy movement where it's like we're trying to do it. like some kind of crazy like Blade Runner shot through the row. <laughs> like he's just like, this is just simple composition, simple blocking. Right. But you're never bored. That's the thing. And it's not. It's, it's a great. It's picture. about. It's about not being bored. And that it was a, when um, when Gordon Willis died. They did a they did a, a tribute mag, tribute issue in American Cinematographer, and all these guys who work with him were just given like anecdotes. And the two guys who really had a lot to say um, were, were Woody Allen and Francis Coppola, mm. because they were like, um, he was so so stringent on what he would shoot with Gordon Willis that it kind of it kind of made them mad like I'm gonna get this I'm gonna get this he's like, he's like no we're gonna shoot this on the 85 and that's all we're gonna do <laughs> and, and, and 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 they said well they fought at first and then they see the dailies and they were like okay shit he's right <laughs> you know and it's and it was a big thing that uh, the Woody Allen said when they're doing um, Annie Hall he was like I wanted so much like moving around he was like just find the angle that everything plays yeah. And if you look at the stuff that they like Annie Hall and in Manhattan, which you know it's like there's that angle, mm-hmm. there's that one composed shot that says everything. Right. And I, and I remember like Billy Wilder was saying that when he first saw Godfather, he like, he was like, "There's no shot out of place in this movie." 
Wow. You know, and this is the guy like, who's so won, economic. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. This is a guy who's won multiple, you know, like best directors and shit like that and best yeah. pictures. And he's like, this is a shot. This is the movie. And to me, it's interesting because Godfather is the type of movie that I say, if you're going to win best picture or best director, then you got to be able to be said in the same sentence as The Godfather. Mm. And if you're not, <laughs> then I don't think you need to be getting that, that award, you know? Because this is a great fucking movie. You know, I'm, See like what 40, I got to do with like, my like I, I, I mean, later. It, it's crazy. I just, I, I literally g- just rewatched it and then I got to the very end and Diara came in and was like, you watching Godfather 2? And I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, I want to watch it. So then I <laughs> you watched watch it, it again. again. <laughs> <laughs> so I've watched it two times this week. That's hilarious. Um, and the second, <laughs> the second one is just such a perfect film. It's crazy. Hmm. Um, but I was watching the scene. Because people don't talk about part two as much. They talk about part one. No, they more. talk about no, no. People believe part two is like is the better movie. Oh, okay. Part you know. two is the better movie. Part one is the cleaner, clearer journey. Okay. So you can see a bigger arc for right. for Michael. You know, where he goes, like, he starts as this guy who does, he's a soldier. He's mm-hmm. the first time you see him he's in mm-hmm. uniform, and then he's, like, closing the door on, on the oh, woman. Yeah, and okay, Mark yeah. Gets in his ring yeah, and, yeah, that's People shot. love it because it's just a, it's a great journey for that character. Yeah. Part two is, like, he's it's, all a in much, now, right? it's a much different type of meal. <laughs> and at the end, he wins, but he loses. He loses everything. He loses everything. He wins. He crushes everyone. He defeats all his enemies. He gets everything. He gets all the power. And he loses so hard, and there's right. that shot of him sitting there on the property with like with the, the wind. Yeah, blowing. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, and you just say. like you just go, wow, that's fucking tragic, you know. And then you're also watching at the same time the story of his father creating and building the family that he is now destroyed. Yeah, it's just, really yeah, interesting. It's, 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 I mean, both those movies. I mean, to me, like I've always been a little partial to the first one because. I love Marlon Brando's performance. Right. I just think it's unfucking believable. And I think the scene when he gets shot in the street is such a fucking cool ass scene in terms of how it's executed. There's something really strange about that movie where, um, not strange, but it's a really smart choice where it's like uh, he uses orange. The color orange is like this means to signify violence and death. And it's mm. like because and so when the Don gets shot, it's this overhead shot of him getting shot against mm-hmm. the car. And he's but he's but he's been buying oranges on the street. And it was like the way they roll. Oh, right, 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 right. It's just like fuck, mm-hmm. man. Like and, and, and he does it all through yeah, all through the second one yeah, as well. Yeah, like it's just, Don, uh, Fanucci when he before he gets shot by Robert De Niro's character, he gets an orange in the street and he's kind of like tossing it in his hand. Yeah, right. yeah it's but it's. It's just the shit, man. It's just you know. <laughs> he really it, controls the palettes of of the world too. So it's just like completely. that color is such an anomaly when you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's cool too because at the moment I mean, we he, could do a whole fucking. Oh yeah, show. We got we got but the but cinephiles but in but the but house, y'all. But this, it's, it's great to see because like the scene when he shoot when De Niro shoots Fenucci, mm-hmm. that's all kind of in shadow and mm-hmm. obscure, obscuro. But the but the the rag is burning because yeah, he yeah. shot through the and that's right. the orange in the shot. Yeah. It's like fuck, dude. You like. Yeah, they did a fucking phenomenal job. And it's funny because I think there's a, you know, I was telling you there's a thing called the director's chair on mm-hmm. on, uh, on Verve with... Uh, have you seen this Have you yet? seen this thing? Mm-mm. You should mm-hmm. see this thing. It's called the, it's, it's, it's on El Rey Network. I don't know if it's still on, this, that's still available if people still have cable, but it's this thing with Robert Rodriguez where he, where he does these interviews with these directors and he does like Carpenter and Tarantino and Zemeckis and Coppola. And Coppola was telling him, 
He was like, yeah, well, you know, I told them I would do Godfather 2 with one condition. Robert Evans never comes to set. <laughs> you know, he was Damn. like, he never, because he gave us so much shit on the right. first one, and it's like he didn't want to do it. And it's just like, um, it's, yeah, that's Not like, according to Bob. <laughs> he's got a much different version of that story. Right. Well, see, so, according to him, he was like, Coppola cut out all the best parts of Godfather One, and Bob Evans went and told him like, "Go make the movie that that I know you, you know that you shot or something like that." Mm-hmm. And he was the one. But I mean, producers, everyone always has the story about how no matter what your job is, you're the PA. Uh, they have a story about how they saved whatever <laughs> right. movie it is they're working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the cool thing about film is like maybe they're right. Like maybe you did stop, you know, you, you put the lock up at the perfect time that prevented the drunk from wandering on set and ruining, you know, Meryl Streep's performance. So everyone does <laughs> save the movie at some point, but everyone's got that everyone's story got about story. how they, they, they saved yeah. everything. I mean, but you know what I think is because it's, there's a, there's a, I think the Bob Evans thing is, I think Coppola's particularly upset about his whole experience with him because of the Cotton Club, you know, and I think because he there's a lot to that movie, I guess. That, and now they're coming up with this restored version. I think another right. like thirty forty minutes are, are going to put back. And he was like, uh, he kept getting these notes from Bob Evans. He was like, "There's not too many black people in this thing." He was like, "It's called the Cotton Club for a reason. We need to have this shit up in here." And uh, it's just interesting. But um, I think this will be the first year in Hollywood that that note is no longer given. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even like early on in my career, like I I wrote this script and there was there was two black leads out of five, right? And one of them was was the main female lead, and mm-hmm. I got a note from a producer like it's unrealistic that there would be two black people in this or whatever, <laughs> and I was just like they're brother and sister, like what are you talking about? <laughs> and it was such a big fight, and I wow. just remember just just being like, look, you know. Their brother and sister, like this is going to be the lead. It's way more interesting to have it this way. But having that fight in what that was like 2014 or something right. like that, it's crazy. You're not gonna have that. You're, right. You're not gonna have that anymore. And then now, finally, people are, are being like, "Oh, okay. Well, now we're gonna put you know people of color in, in the in the lead parts because now we realize that we can make money." It's right. like everyone's been telling you that you could make money right. for years, like, for years, and we've mm-hmm. seen it not just in Black Panther, but <clears throat> in so many fucking things. Right. Like, there's a reason Shonda Rhimes has an empire. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> like uh, you know, I'm doing this. I told you I'm doing a video essay. Did I tell you doing a video essay on on uh, Tony Scott. I, tell you, I didn't mm. tell you. It was so I'm doing one on him, and I'm looking at his career. His career, and it's like. You know, he did five movies with Denzel Washington, mm. and I don't think there's anyone who's done that many movies with Denzel. Right. And they're really interesting action films because I think if Denzel wasn't in them and they just were done with anybody, they wouldn't be as interesting. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's one of the things that's hurt action films since Tony Scott's died is that they don't get a big heavyweight actor to come in there and like ground the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was uh, there was some of that with some of the with the Wesley Snipes films in the early, in the late nineties and early two thousands, mm-hmm. but it's a much different level with Denzel. <clears throat> it's like you get someone like that, or you get someone like Chewy Tell, and you throw them in the movie, and it could take a movie that is. Well, it's probably why Taken was so successful. Yeah, is because you took a really good actor, right. even though Liam. he was he was fifty years mm-hmm. old, and we're just like. The movie is so much more grounded than if you had just got some like young fucking Ryan you Gosling know, or some shit. Thirty, no offense, 30 year old, yeah, right. yeah, or, or, or anybody. Right. But right. those guys, I mean, like 
you know, he'd been in Shinner's list at that point and been yeah, all this right, shit. And it's like, right. you could come and do yeah. some little like throwaway action film. Yeah, but it becomes yeah. the nuances, right. you know? So, can I just say that I miss Wesley Snipes? I would do anything to do a, a Woody Wesley movie. Oh my God. I yeah. put this on Twitter, but really? guys, if you're out there, what do you, <laughs> what do you want to do? What do you want to work on? I mean, yeah. awesome. Awesome. Yeah, because it's like. That's one of, that's one of Peter Bunch's boys. Wesley. Oh really? Yeah, because remember I wrote the Black Wall Street yeah. story. He, him, and Wesley had one ten years ago. They wanted to do, and Wesley wanted to star in it. But of course, see, that what happened? See, I, I, I mean, like he been out of jail a for a while. Star. And, he was a great and, star, and he, but he hasn't had. I mean, he was in that show, that NBC show, yeah, he was a, in couple like, years ago, a couple years yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> but he should be doing something like he should I be agree. doing he something be really. Yeah, busy. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but that shows. It's like he was misused because he was kind of like this, like this reserved power broker. And I was like, that's not Nino Brown. I need to see some <laughs> shit where he's like, you know, showing his power and energy and excitement. You know, and I just, I, I think he, it's sad. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't know why he's whatever, whatever. They think he can't, they, they can't bond them. I don't know what the fuck that is, but he needs to be in more shit. You know, I mean, I think if I think if Robert Downey Jr. <clears throat> You know, was in jail for drug conviction. Is able to like clean himself up. No reason why we can't see that with Wesley. No reason. Right. You know. Agreed. Well, thanks, Miles. That's awesome. Thank you, guys. So, um, do you know what's going on with the pilot? Can you say? Do you, do you have any ideas? Uh, I can't say okay. quite yet. All right. Um, but we are we're we're about two weeks from being done. We're just finishing up VFX right now. Awesome. So, um, and then we hopefully. We'll get good news soon. Good. That's what's that. Fingers crossed. What else is next for you? So you said you got a new movie. What's that? Uh, I'm doing a a movie at Netflix uh, that Anthony Anderson is starring in that I wrote about Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, So that starts shooting in May. uh, What's that called so we can let everybody know? Or is there uh, changing the title on you? Yeah. Yeah, Title's changing. (laughs) When I know, you guys know. Okay, okay, cool. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, Rick and I are doing the Black Science at Amazon. So we're developing that that script right now. (laughs) And That's dope. You know, we'll see. We're writing that script and then, Mm -hmm. you know, fingers crossed that, that they put it into production. It's a big, crazy, you know, it's very, very different than than mm-hmm. anything that um, that I've done before. Right. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. Where you at, Miles? Where can people uh, find you? I am <clears throat> at MilesOrion1 on Instagram and MilesOrionFeld at Twitter. Cool. Twitter. That's what's that. Where you at, Chris? Unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram and ShadowboxerCinema.net. All right. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest, <clears throat> Instagram, all the other shit. Um, follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Um, any questions, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to, um, and give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, we're coming out with a Patreon. It's about to blow up. I know. Patreon it's going to drop next. It's going to drop next week. Yeah, it's drop next week. Yeah, we need that shit because uh, I spent a fortune on this damn show, and, and I, need I love eat. y'all, motherfuckers. But goddamn it, I need to. Y'all need some help on this. I need um, some food. I need some whiskey <laughs> up in this piece. So that's what that money's going to be used for. <laughs> exactly. I could have brought whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't drink. He would have. Um, that's awesome. So uh, y'all know how we do it on the rant room. Like I said, this is dropping tomorrow. 
to be episode 199. Oh, shit. The penultimate damn. episode. Shit. That's perfect. I like that. It's the, it's the martini one, ain't it? Uh, yeah, the martini drink. shot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> martini yeah. shot of this piece. Only if you stop in a 200. Huh? Oh, oh right, right, right. Well, then we then we're stopping free at two hundred. Motherfuckers right. gonna have some money, and, uh, and 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 the old episodes are gonna be behind the paywall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we ain't gonna do all that. Um, so y'all yeah. know how we do it on the rant room on this show. We we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. Wakanda. Wakanda. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind in the business, got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room.